largest listeners. Great to have you all back. Alan, Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. All right. Amazing. How did I know? <laughs> um, cool. So I'm pretty psyched because we are going to switch things up a little bit this week. Um, we got in a listener question that, Alan, when I sent it to you, you put little exclamation points into the texting feature of my iPhone. And then as we were sitting down to record this pod, you physically moved the mic further away from you out of fear that your enthusiasm would blow the eardrums of our devoted listeners. Did you not? I did. You did indeed. Amazing. <laughs> so we're pretty excited. I'm just that about kind of enthusiastic fella. I know you just like, no, I can't even do it. Okay. So here we go. Um, so um, we got a, we got a great listener question in. We love all our listener questioners. Yes. Um, you people are excellent human beings. Um, so this is a question. Um, at Throwing Shade. Love the podcast. Oh, thanks, friend. Okay. I recently visited the town in western Ukraine my father's family is from pre-World War II. Are there any specific lore about Shadim in the region of Galicia or Galicia? Galicia, yes. Uh, thank you. Really, who's, who's the Twitter? This is an excellent listener from Stockholm. Oh. Whose name I don't know. Okay. But they tweet as living my unexamined life. Okay, living my unexamined life. Um, thank you for that question. It's awesome. Yeah. And also, uh, the reason, or one of the reasons this really perked my ears up was because my family also is from the region of Galicia. <gasps> oh and my gosh. I, um, the ultimate been, Jewish geography. Right. Well, <laughs> who knows? I mean, anything's possible. Yeah. Um, yeah, And but... Um, I'm also doing some research into my family history and hope to one day so take... So much research, yes. <laughs> <You're>, it bothers <laughs> you? No, I love it. It's exciting. We're finding out all kinds of weird, wacky yeah. things. In fairness, I'm also doing research on your family, too. So. Yes. And anyway, so... Just, like, throwing my whole narrative of myself apart. I am not who I thought I was, and it's very troubling. Okay, well... More on that. Never. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um... Yeah, and uh, so I'm like, I'm a little bit, first of all, I'm hoping one day to take one of these kinds of trips that Living My Unexamined Life uh, has just taken. Mm-hmm. Um, my family, I can trace to another part of Galicia, actually the western part in what's now Poland, mm-hmm. um, but possibly also into Ukraine, so I'm very familiar with that map, that, that Galicia mm-hmm. map. Um and the reason I am talking about the map is because I don't know specifically which town Living My Unexamined Life's family was from, mm-hmm. but uh, I want to just say that the short answer to the question, which we've said a number of times before, is that yes. Yes, there are stories about Shadim. Sure. Uh, anywhere there were Jews, basically, there are stories, lore, folk tales, however you want to put it, about Shadim. Mm-hmm. Um, or... If not that, then some kind of supernatural, non, you know, uh, uh, non, what's the word? Um, adversarial. It's, it's, it's adversarial oh, okay. stories, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I was able to find a story from the town of Brod, which in English you would spell B-R-O-D-Y, mm-hmm. Brody. In Yiddish it's pronounced Brod. Okay. Um, it's, it starts in another town that's not named, and um, there are... I'll tell you one version of it, mm-hmm. 
but there are other there are many versions as you can imagine in oral sure. traditions there's different ways of thinking about it mm-hmm. and then we can we can discuss sort of what the possibilities are around it so this but, is not a talmudic thing this is like nope much li- what about what year are we talking about do you know um well it takes place in the time of a certain rabbi rabbi eliyahu uh, Gutmacher, mm-hmm. um, who was the Rav in the town of Brod. And y- right. So according to the <laughs> Yivo archives, where I this was not Wikipedia, and oh. it wasn't Jewish Virtual Library, nor was it my Jewish Learning or Chabad. Look at that. It was Yivo. Way, for, awesome. way to go for Yivo coming up. Um, Eliyahu Gutmacher, he was a rabbi, Talmud scholar, mystic, communal leader, early Zionist. Um, so we're looking at what year? It's, I don't know. It's 18th century. Yeah. It doesn't say, it doesn't have his years there? It probably does. Okay. Mm-hmm. 1796 <laughs> to 1874 or so. Ah, okay. Yeah. Isn't it fascinating 19th, 19th listening to me then. like read from my phone? Uh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yes, actually more like 19th century. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, he was known as the Tzaddik of Gratz. Okay. Great. So now we know those things about him. Check out Yivo for more amazing stuff yeah, like that and stuff about Yiddish. Um, right. So there was a Rav in an unnamed town. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I should preface. I'm about to tell a version of the story. Okay. okay. <laughs> Gather around the Snapchat, children. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no? Okay. No, um, not an appropriate reference at this point. Okay, go ahead. Isn't Snapchat the one where the icon is a ghost? Oh, my God. Please stop. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what? I'm asking. Yeah. It's a ghost. All right. But for today's purposes, it is a shade. Okay. Actually, that's very relevant to what the what's going to happen in this. This all was totally podcast. intentional and planned. Okay, okay. Go ahead. Well, now that we've discussed it, I think it's, uh, it's time for a break. And Are then we'll serious? tell the story. Yeah. Okay. We'll break. take a break and then gather around children. It's story time. Okay. Okay, friends, let's get ready. Alan, tell us a story. Right. Thanks. So, as I said, there is a rov in some unnamed town in Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. not too far from the town of Brod, Brody, okay. in what's now Western Ukraine, in the area of Galicia. Mm-hmm. And this rov um, had uh, some sort of power, some knowledge that gave this rov enough power to trap... Uh, four shadim mm. in a um, chest. Okay. And those are all those are all relevant details, which we'll come back to. Okay, four in a chest. Right, Got it. four shadim, or possibly shadot in mm. a chest. Okay. Okay. Um, and they, um, uh, uh, and the rav kept the chest in the attic in his house left it there for generations. Why? Because if you buried it, the elements could rust the lock and the, the shadim could bust out. Mm-hmm. If he uh, dropped it at the bottom of the sea, it could break open at the bottom of the chest. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, if he, you know, if, if he did anything to it, the, this is the only way to keep make sure it would be, it would be secure. Yep. He informed the, the future generations to pass on the knowledge of about this chest mm. and never open it. Okay. So, of course, <laughs> many generations later, mm-hmm. there's a 13-year-old boy who gets very curious yeah. and breaks the lock open. Mm-hmm. And these shadim immediately inhabit his body. Ooh. They possess him. Okay. And um, 
he starts to uh um uh like his body act starts weird. to get de- he has to act weird his body starts to get deformed mm. specifically his neck and his back and especially his belly and we know for sure this is not just like normal puberty stuff oh yeah okay no he can't speak oh. um and when he uh w- when he tries to actually activate him his his physical body um, he ends up crawling on all fours and like mooing like a calf or hmm. barking like a dog, that sort of thing. Hmm. Okay, and and so slightly out of the normal range of behaviors for teenage boys. Right, his neck would stretch so much it would be painful. His back would turn into like a barrel shape, or his stomach would like expand in weird ways. Wow! And the stomach thing was the most thing that happened. Okay, that's also significant. Okay, okay, and then again, there's four in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the father heard the commotion went and saw the boy didn't know what to do figured mm-hmm. oh this is probably something that only an expert can deal with uh-huh. um so the father um takes the boy to the town of Brod, where eliyahu gutmacher harav eliyahu gutmacher is there okay he knows this rabbi has uh, special knowledge mystical knowledge says and, and um, he brings the boy into the base medrash where the Rav is learning with his students mm-hmm. while carrying him over his uh, shoulders. Because uh, that's the best that he can do with the boy. Yeah. And the, the Rav stops what he's doing and he says, bring him into my home. They all go into the Rav's home. Mm-hmm. And the father puts the boy down on the ground and he starts doing his mooing thing and barking thing. Right. And... Um, the uh, so the, the Rav says he needs to be sitting on a chair for what I'm about to do. Okay. And um, everybody sit down. Right. So they they put him in a chair, mm-hmm. and he starts with all these mystical, this kabbalistic kavanas, like thinking about each word he's saying to heal him, and uh, nothing's working. Okay. He tries again. He does it twice every day, and nothing's working. The boy is still in this terrible probably extremely painful state and just like mm-hmm. nobody knows what's really going on except for this rub okay. and he doesn't know how to fix it mm-hmm. one day not too long later um there in the town he's presiding over a pigeon haben. um a redemption of a firstborn boy which has to do with some stuff about the priests in the torah but it's a it's a ceremony for a baby right he goes to the pigeon haben. And it's this great simcha, right? It's a lot of celebration. Everyone's happy. It's a, you know. And then he, um, the Rav Gutmacher says to himself, sort of as a tefillah to Hashem, maybe, I don't know. He realizes this is a day where there's a pidyon haben. This, this boy, this baby boy, mm-hmm. um, is being freed. He's being released from mm-hmm. responsibility to the Kohanim, right? Right. Um, and uh, so maybe this other boy... The thirteen-year-old mm, can also be released. Can also be released on mm. this day. Mm. So he goes. So something's propitious about this day. Okay. So he goes back to his home where the boy is, and he sits him back in the chair, and he mm-hmm. says a pasuk from um, Tehillim Tzadik Aleph, Kapitel Tzadik Aleph, which is the one that we actually discussed in one of our previous episodes, mm-hmm. um, Psalm 91? ninety-one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Yoshev. It's an anti-demonic, it's one of a couple sort of anti-demonic psalms. Right, and it's also the um, uh, uh, the, the, the theme song for our, uh, yes, yes. For our podcast. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, and so um, 
he's doing this, and all of a sudden the boy, he makes a really strange sound, mm-hmm. and he points to the end of his little finger. Mm. And um, yes, for Skittles. I'm no. Just kidding. Okay, I don't get that one. <laughs> Sorry. ET reference. Go ahead. Not, oh, oh, Reese's Pieces. Reese's, yeah, and that's the first finger. Ugh. Little finger. Middle I know. Pinky. I thought it was close enough. Yeah. But then I said Skittles, and I ruined everything. Please continue. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so the Rav looks at what's going on. He re- knows exactly what, what this means, mm-hmm. and he orders somebody to open a window. So somebody mm-hmm. goes and opens up a window, and um, suddenly the boy says, he, he's speaking for the first time words that are intelligible, mm-hmm. and he says, one of the witches has left me. Mm. And all of a sudden they look at his belly, where they had been previously, and one whole side of it was much smaller. Hmm. And, um, mm. oh, I said witches, but Shadim, we'll come back to that. Oh. Okay. Um, yes. Was this, a, was this an intentional slip of the tongue? Was it was uh, not intentional, but it's relevant. So okay. we'll come back to it. <laughs> um, um, so then, uh, uh, but, but the rest of the belly was still as full as before. Uh-huh. And, um, uh, and they, they've realized, the boy said, whatever, that the, the other three... We're still in there. Yeah. So um, he decided to start, the, the Rav started Davin again, saying mm-hmm. more to Hillim, saying that maybe this this capital to Hillim over and over again. Uh-huh. And um, he said, he, he actually said it three more times. Mm-hmm. And then um, the boy screamed and made another noise. And he said, they all left. They're all gone. Cool. And uh, they Yay. looked and his whole body was back to normal. And he acted as if nothing had ever happened before. And, um, <laughs> went back to his Xbox. And he, well, basically, yeah, he went back to normal. But yeah. He, 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 yeah. Um, and there was much rejoicing. Um, yeah, there was, much, there was much davening thanks to Hashem. <laughs> and yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, Maybe this is another good place for a pause because there's a lot to, to, to dissect here. That's just wanna, the end of the story. That's the end of the story. Okay. The the shade the shade name are gone. Nobody has to worry about them again. Okay. Yay. It was it's kind of exorcism. Yeah. Um, which that's one of the things I want to dissect. But okay. We can do that after the break. Okay. Let's take a break. Okay. So let's, we, we introduced our story. We told our story. Let's dissect a little bit. Not the boy, but the story. <laughs> and, uh, okay, so we've got this kid who gets, who opens up this chest, gets inhabited by these four demons. Is there significance to the number? Is there... Right. Where do you want to start? Well, I want to start with um, one of the most available sources for this story. It's mm-hmm. a book called Lilith's Cave, and it's... By uh, it's uh, retold by Howard Schwartz, who is a great storyteller, Jewish um, collector of Jewish uh, stories, folklore, this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend this book. Yeah, um, it's got it's it's great. It's got like dozens of these two or three page little stories from all over the Jewish world, and that means that means basically everywhere mm-hmm. um, about demons and witches and ghosts and all kinds of dibics, all kinds of crazy stuff. It's really cool. Right. However, if you do look in this book. What you find is the title is The Exorcism of Witches from a Boy's Body. Mm-hmm. And so I was peeking at the at the story when I was telling it to you. <laughs> and um, It's audio. They don't know. Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm yeah. telling you. <laughs> and that's why I, I said witches before because it was in the it's actually mm-hmm. the text here. Um, there is a case to be made for these creatures to be witches. 
mm-hmm. but there's I think a stronger case for it to be shading. Um, okay. So that's one of the things I wanted to discuss. Great. Um, or possibly shadot, right? Mm-hmm. Shade, the female shading. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, one of the pretty much the only real case I think you can make for it being witches is the number, the number four, mm-hmm. and that's a pretty weak argument. Um, uh, the reason I say that is because we know from, again, previous podcast episodes, we've discussed that Shadim like to travel in packs of nine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a weak argument to say that they're not Shadim because one of the, the first things we learn is that this original Rav from the family of the boy mm-hmm. from generations earlier what, trapped four. All it says, all we know is that he trapped four of them. Right, it just happens that he trapped of four them. of them. It doesn't mean right. that they weren't traveling in a pack of nine when that happened. Right. A. B, we do know of at least one case, one scenario in which Shadim do travel in a pack of four, mm-hmm. and that's the four female queens of the Shadim. Oh, that's right. Which may be a confusion mm-hmm. with witches. Oh, An- okay. Another example, another case, another uh, point to mm-hmm. be made is that um, uh, so Shadim cannot be seen mm-hmm. and can do this. We know this from other other historical records and other lore mm-hmm. that Shadim can inhabit and possess a human body mm-hmm. to cause it damage and, and the pain like, like what's described in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas witches are different. Witches are, you can see them. Right there, it's it's not as if they're... right. I can see them doing something to the boy, but then the witch herself would remain correct in her own garb and body and whatever external to this kid while she's you know casting whatever spell. Right, and then a, a final thing. This is I think the really important thing is that we know again in this story we learn it's Tilim Tzadikalif. It's chapter ninety one. Yeah, which specifically is specifically an anti demonic psalm. Correct. That gets used to heal the kid. Right. Hmm. Which is why I think this is a again a very good case that these are Shadim or possibly I mean I'm sold. Shadim. But you also told me a story about Shadim, so I'm like <laughs> <laughs> I'm convinced. You like this. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So cool. Um yeah. And okay, so what is do you see um any what what is the role that this story would have played like is this is this all about venerating this Rav Gutmacher is there I mean is there some other significance to I think that this idea of the chest with the shading being passed along from gener- generation to generation is also kind of interesting and mm. a nice setup for a young adult novel but um <laughs> like what what else are you seeing happening in this story and why would it have been why would it have been told Right. There are there are a couple of possibilities. Um, it's a great question. I think so. You're, you're kind of asking, like, what's the moral? What are people getting from this story? Right. Sure. Yeah. Right. So it's a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. It's also um, don't open that chest in the attic, kids. Right. <laughs> is there another moral, though? <laughs> like, well, is this a like a them, like a like a listen to your parents kind of thing or? Sure. It it could also be even you touched on another interesting point of venerating this Rav Gutmacher. Yeah. Um, and that would definitely be a point because um, think about it would be a good a good point because think about, again, that earlier Rav from the family from generations earlier, mm-hmm. who's unnamed, who um, he uh, was 
unable to vanquish these Shadim, just mm. trap them. Mm-hmm. Right? Whereas Rav Guttmacher, he defeats them and nobody has to think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, another interesting point to be made is that this is happening at a time when um, uh, there's a lot of Hasidic fervor, if that's a word, mm-hmm. in that area at the sure. time. Sure. The, and, and one of the things that sort of gets spread about, especially Hasidic uh, rabbis, Rabbeim, Mm-hmm. is you know leaders is that they have these sorts of abilities they have this special yeah. specialized knowledge and um Rakutmacher was not necessarily one of these he was not mm-hmm. um but he was still able to do that mm-hmm. so in in other words let's say you're a part of the the community there at that time and you're starting to get swept up in all the Hasidic stuff mm-hmm. and the other non-Hasidic sect wants to keep you in there. They could say, well, you could still learn this stuff and not be a Hasid. You can be mm. part of our community and still, you know, have this kind of knowledge or at least be, at least access it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, you know, if you know a rub of this kind of caliber. caliber yeah. um, and so it's sort of like, mm. stay in my community at all costs. You know, like, um, <laughs> these are my people. These are my yeah, people. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 maybe not yeah. all of our listeners know that there was actually, when Hasidism first started, and and you know started gathering the people and sort of demonstrating a different way of being and a different sort of mode of going through the world as a Jewish person. Um, there was a lot of pushback against mm-hmm. that, and um, the you know everybody else who wasn't into Hasidism sort of became this group called the Miknagdim, um, mm-hmm. those which literally means kind of those who are against, sort mm-hmm. of defining themselves as not being or Prushim. Or Prushim, yes. Positive term. Yes, which is more yeah. <laughs> um, but there was there was a lot of hostility. Yeah. And I think and I think it does come down to a lot of this kind of like we're losing our people to this weirdo movement. Um, well what's what's especially interesting and the, I'll, I'll just make two more final points about this, is that the town of Brod specifically, there are lots of towns in Eastern Europe, in, in Galicia, where, um, you know, you'd have one town that was like, oh, everybody here basically is a Hasid, and then another town where, oh, everybody here is basically a Misnagid. Mm-hmm. But in Brod, which was true of a number of towns, it was very evenly split, mm. pretty evenly split. I mm-hmm. mean, whatever. Um, so you so you had this This, this house divided against itself. In, the, in that one town, in mm-hmm. that one community. Yeah. And then the other thing I wanted to make, uh, the other point I wanted to make is, um, you know, I mentioned the exorcism before. One of the things that the Baal Shem Tov himself, the founder of Hasidism, is, supposed, is supposedly said to have been able to do is have this ability to, to perform exorcisms mm-hmm. and to, to go around and, and do that sort of thing. So now you have another of yeah. somewhere else who can also do that. Yeah. Um, well, and it's interesting how this Rav in particular ends up doing it. He takes a... Um, a typical um, ritual, which is something that's very, very st- like doing a pinyon haben, doing a, mm-hmm. you know, releasing a child. It's like a, it's it's an ingrained ritual. It's a kind of thing that you do. There's nothing like nothing crazy or weird about it. Right. He takes the, the pieces of that ritual and transfers it into this other situation. Mm-hmm. He's not necessarily taking amulets. He's not, you know, going out into the forest and like drawing a circle and doing some kind right. of crazy fire dance or whatever it is like. It's very. Um, normative Jewish right. practice, but just being applied to a very non-normative situation. Right. That's a very that's a really good point. Which is kind of fascinating. 
This was really cool. Alan, thank you so much. And yeah. thank you to our amazing listener who sent in this question. We're so thrilled that you did. You guys, if you have other questions, please tweet us at Throwing Shade. That's H-E-Y-D. Be happy to take them up in another episode. Um, but this has been super fun. Thanks a lot, Alan. Right, shade throwers we've come to the end of our time and you know what your action item for this week is like find a story you know hmm. um i i would encourage you to go out and get lilith's cave we'll tweet the link to the google books version of it which isn't totally complete but you should be able to read some of the stuff in there read the amazon link too, the amazon link all that kind of good stuff find one read it sit with it have a conversation about it because these stories are awesome and they're tiny little windows into the way the Jewish world was and there's all kinds of insights there that you can bring into your life today and besides that they're just great entertainment and so interesting and delightful and so find yourself a story kick back have a conversation about it and have a great week what do you think Alan yeah all right. Amen. Um, amen. Amen to stories. Amen to stories. All right, Shade Throwers, you are gorgeous. You matter. The world needs you. Thanks so much for spending a little bit of time with us today. We will catch you next time on another edition of Throwing Shade, Better Living Through Jewish Demonology. Catch you all later. Gorgeous listeners, welcome back to Throwing Shade. So lovely to have you with us. Alan, how's it going? Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. I am so thrilled to be here today because of many reasons. First of all, we have a new setup. We're recording in a different way for the first time today, which is exciting and has no bearing whatsoever on how this will play out for our listeners. But whatever setting you pictured us in, as you're listening to this podcast, it's different now. Right. And it, I think it sounds better. Enjoy that. It definitely sounds better. Uh, so <laughs> there's that. Secondly, this is our Shavuot, Shavuos episode, which I am super psyched about because mm-hmm. Shavuos is my favorite holiday bef- by far because cheesecake, please come on people. And also <laughs> like <laughs> learning all night with cool people and good stuff. And um, it's just a really fun, delightful, life-affirming holiday. So I love it a lot, and I'm really excited. And I understand, Alan, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about Shavuot Ruth. We're going to talk Ruth and Shadim. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Okay, bring it. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, So I found a really cool Torah about Ruth and Shadim from Rabbi Yehuda Fatia. Yehuda uh, Fatia. Yehuda Fatia. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a thing that Wikipedia would know about. Yehuda Fatia is also <laughs> known as the Minchad Yehuda, which is the name the, of one of his the, books. The safer we're learning from tonight. Yeah. Look at that. That's amazing. All right. So um, the uh, Yehuda Fatia is, I think he's from Baghdad. Mm-hmm. And um, so late 19th century, early 20th century or so. Mm-hmm. Kabbalist. Yeah. All around cool dude. Yeah, and being Iraqi, it's a little bit outside my wheelhouse, but it's pretty cool stuff. So, um, you know, I'm just pointing out that my expertise is typically in the Ashkenazi world, and mm-hmm. I want to just, you know, emphasize that. I like that we're um, mixing it up. Okay. All right, let's yeah. do it. Hopefully more of that soon. Yes.
More yeah. of that soon. To be continued. Okay, so what are we learning from the Minchat Yehuda? So it actually starts as a parish on a Pesach in Breshis, Okay. The commentary on a verse in Genesis. Yes. Did that okay? Took my job, but it's fine. Okay. Go ahead. All right. El Ha'isha Omar Harbe Arbe Itzvaynech This is the part where Hashem mm. is, um, is um, cursing Chava. After right. she took the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and uh, right, and her punishment is that she will have have difficulty or pain in childbirth. That's the literal translation, but the point of what's being brought down here is that she gets cursed, mm-hmm. and says Rabbi Fatia, "Hina um, eruvin." We look in in the Gemara and Masechus Eruvin, Dav Kuf Amud Beis, page one hundred, folio. To be whatever. Oh, all right. Esar Chava had ten curses. One of them was Umagadelis Sear Kililis, that she grows hair like Lilis. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so already you're thinking lots of things, right? Mm-hmm. Gets even weirder. Okay. Piresh Rashi, what does Rashi's all say about that? Lilis Shade. Rashi explains that Lilith, Lilith is a shade. <laughs> Thank you, Rabbi Obvious. Yes. Okay. Well, but it's, hold on, it's going to get cooler. Okay. I'm, you, I'm here have, for you're it. You're going to have to come back to that in your head. Lilith, shade. Okay. Okay. Yes. The Kasha. And here's the problem. We hear in, we see in the Medrash in Rus. Rus is, is relevant, by the way, I should mention that the book of Rus is relevant to Shavuos because it's read in synagogues on Shavuos. Yes. Um, in case that wasn't clear before. Yes. Yeah. And when Alan says Roos, he means Ruth or Root. Right. There you go. I mean all of it. You mean all of it. Every word of it. Okay. <laughs> all of it <laughs> shared with a depth of sincerity that people would find mind boggling. Like it's, yes, go ahead. <laughs> admirable, admirable. Great. Is okay. the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Al <laughs> um, um, Pasuk, it says on the Pasuk, this is Ruth. Chapter three, verse eight. Which translates to this is my job? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Wait, so <laughs> we're looking at all right, so Ruth chapter three, verse eight says, And it came to pass at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Right. So the Medrash comes and says, that the person here is Boaz mm-hmm. starts to uh, touch her hair. Okay. Okay. Amar, and then he says to her, Ruchais ein lahem se'ar. That Ruchais, which is a kind of female spirit, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about Ruchais as a cast of Shadim, mm-hmm. right? They don't have hair. Mm-hmm. So and then he says, "Amar la miat." He says, "Who are you?" He's so. In other words, his first reaction is, "This is not a person. This is a female shade who's coming to me." But then he sees that she has hair. He's feeling her hair, and he says, "Oh, you're not a shade because you have hair. Mm. You're not a female shade because you have hair." Wait a minute. Who are you? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So wait a minute. Right. So then says Reb Fatia. Um, this is the opposite of what we just learned. Yeah, didn't we just learn like two seconds ago? Jeez. 
Get your acts together. Right. Ve'ayin. And we also have to look in the Sefer Chassidim. The Sefer Chassidim, which is another very deep Sefer. Shekasav. Sheshedim hazcharim yesh lehem se'ar. V'lanakevais ain lehem se'ar. Male so shading dudes have hair, have hair, and female shading and the ladies don't, don't have have hair. Okay. Okay. Ready? Hmm. Venira Li. This is the Rabbi Fatia speaking now. It appears to me Shibakusha Zoi Niskasha Rashi Zal. This is a this is a question on Rashi. Okay. In other words, it's not a question on the Eruvin. It's not a question on Sefer Chassidim. It's not a question on the Medrash. Mm-hmm. It's a question on Rashi. How could Rashi say Lulis shade shade? Right. Mm-hmm. Remember. In the, in, the, in the Gemara there, that's why Lachin Perush, he said, Lilis, shade. Lilis is a shade. Kolomar, right, Zachar Veloy Nekeva. Whoa, interesting. Lilis is a male and not a female shade. Huh. Which is why she has, or he has hair. Um, huh. Okay. The Simen, okay. and, that, and, um, and uh, to, to find a proof for that, we, sat, we see in another part in Bereshis, in the book of Genesis, Hain, we see Esav Achi Ish Sa'ir when Jacob is, is grabbing his brother Esav as a hairy man, Ish Sa'ir, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Esav being related to Shadim, Esau, yeah. right? Being related to Shadim and, and the, the father of many Shadim and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, that him being a male and giving sh- male Shadim hair mm-hmm. because he was hairy. Mm-hmm. Genetics. Genetics. <laughs> Hashtag genetics. <laughs> okay. Thank you for punctuating that. Okay. I am thoroughly confused. Let's pause for a moment mm-hmm. and we'll do a little break and then we'll dive back in and all the yeah, clarity will happen. There's more. It's cool. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. Okay, Shade Throwers. So we're diving into a very specific section of the Book of Ruth, which is read on Shavuot. And it has brought about some interesting stuff about Lilith. And um, we're going to go a little deeper into... And, and hair. Shady and and hair, hair in particular. Right. And various, yeah, gender and sexual identity of Shadim, which is going to be... Lilith specifically. Lilith in particular. So... <laughs> Where, so where do we go from here? There's a story well, the, that yeah, follows that, yeah? Yeah, this is kind of a neat little story that the Minchas Yehuda, Minchat Yehuda, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm doing that right, um, from, uh, from Iraq, as you, as you mentioned, he, he was a big Kabbalist, and he was known as such, and mm-hmm. when people had issues with various things, such as Shadim, they would come to him for help. Mm-hmm. This is a story that he tells from his perspective is written in the first person in the safer mm-hmm. um, mm. um so uh it's related to the shady and hair and stuff so okay that'd be a neat little thing to share okay um <laughs> okay. here's the big rabbi's anecdote about shady and hair <laughs> but it's relevant okay so no, no, no i love it let's do it so yeah so once there was you know something happened to me where I'm so I'm reading as as it's written. I'm translating on the fly. Okay, um, I'm envisioning you as the Minchat Yehuda himself. Okay, you look good. Okay. It works for you. I all right. I'm very uncomfortable with okay. that. <laughs> <laughs> own it, own it, work it, baby. You can do it. Um, uh, the, the, uh, a certain woman came to me from the ear Kirchuch or Charchuch. I don't know how it's pronounced. Um, in the month of Adar, in such and such a year. Okay, so he's like very specific about what who what happened and when. Mm-hmm. 
Well, details give veracity to the story. Sure, sure. She needed me to save her um, from a certain shade who was coming to her to have sex with her. Mm -hmm. And she told me that when this shade comes to her, the shade's mother also comes with him. They come together. Okay. And it's a family outing. Because the mother never leaves his side and uh, the two of them are always appearing to her and she can see her, she can see them like any other human, even in, during the daytime. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. So already... I mean, we've heard so much about Shady as being helicopter parents. It's a little bit of a... <laughs> it's an overused trope at this point. <laughs> well, I also think it's a relevant story because we are. We also talked about whether Shady can appear or not appear. And, mm-hmm. and certainly the Minchas Yehuda knows the, the abilities of Shady to do that. And mm-hmm. so he's going to have questions, right? Sure. But she continues, um, even when she's busy doing something... He and he comes, he makes her get up and go with her so he can have sex with her. Go with him so he can have sex with her, right? So I, this is Rabbi Fatia. Wait, the shade makes this lady yeah. get up and go do stuff with him. Correct. Okay. Sorry, I got lost in the characters for a second. Oh, sorry. We have, yes. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah, we do have three now. Yeah. Okay. So I, this is Rabbi Fatia talking. Mm-hmm. I asked her a few questions about signs of shading so just to check to make sure that you know she's really yeah. saying what um well, she's really seeing what she's saying mm-hmm. right she's saying and among them i asked her questions about hair okay okay but to test her he's saying i switched the order and i said um because th- because the the male shading don't have hair and the female shading do have hair. This mm. is a, as a test to, you know, because we know what he really mm-hmm. thinks, right? Sneaky. Okay. Right. And she responded to me, no, I'm sorry, my master, but the shading have hair, the fe- male shading have hair and the female shading do not have any hair. Mm. That was her certain answer to him. Okay. Okay. And that is like is written in Sefer Hasidim that we learned a moment ago. And, um, and, uh, it's a, uh, he goes on to talk about how, um, that's why women shouldn't go, go so far as to shave their entire heads and, uh, oh God. Okay. Um, and cause, cause it would make them, they would like make shading. themselves like, like shading, but he says specifically Lilith. So it would seem from here that Rabbi Fatia, Rabbi Fatia is, he believes that Lilith is actually a female shade because she has no hair. Mm-hmm. And that's just a question on Rashi, who he maybe disagrees with, that Rashi thinks that Lilith is a male shade mm-hmm. um, who has hair. Mm-hmm. So, Okay, cool. So we've got some layers going on here. Let's, let's hit pause for a minute. So, Alan, can you just like wrap it up? Give us a quick recap of all the what are the bullet points? Yeah, it's pretty confusing. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening. Okay, Um, main thing is this: because of the punishments given to Eve after the um, after the sin of the the incident incident we shall call it air quote incident tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yes, right, and 
because of the way shading were created before that, mm-hmm. what we learn is that female shading do not have hair. Okay. And male shading do. Okay. Okay. That's from the Sefer Chassidim we learned that and from the Midrashim and all these other things. Okay, great. So when Boaz is in the book of Ruth is sitting there, and mm-hmm. it's this very mysterious scene. It's not quite clear what exactly is going on. Mm-hmm. He feels a female presence of some kind. Mm-hmm. And according to the Medrash, his first reaction is, this is probably a female shade. Yeah. Maybe even Lilith herself mm-hmm. in this particular case who would show up at a time like that. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so then he like he puts his hand and he feels hair. Yes. And he says, oh, it's not a female shade. It must be a female something. Maybe it's a female human. Uh-huh. And so he asks, who are you? Right. Right. It turns out it's Ruth. Yeah. Yay. Yay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Great. And then, yeah. And then we have this follow-up story. We had a commentary from Rashi that talked about how Lilith was a shade and sort of called into question masculine calling into question whether so is this I mean, there's all kinds of ways you could play with that. Like, is this that Lilith is actually a male shade? Is it that Lilith is somehow gender fluid? Is it that Lilith is taking on sort of masculine traits at certain points or something like that? so that doesn't feel totally clear to me, but it's kind of interesting that that ends up being the the spinoff point for then the Mincha Yehuda to tell that story mm-hmm. um, in which it's it's like he, he solidifies that initial idea, right? That female shading do not have hair and male shading do. Right. Right. OK. Yeah. And he knows it's confusing. Mm-hmm. That's why he tests his. Uh... Yeah. My brain's all mushy melty. <laughs> this is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you can't tell because hair. It's you can't see underneath. Uh-huh. Also skull. Whatever. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um He knows it's confusing. He knows it's confusing. That's why that's why he uses the hair as one of his sort of tests to make sure what's really going on with this woman who comes to him. Right. This unnamed woman who comes to him and um and she gets it right. So mm-hmm. it's really going on with her and then he he eventually goes and helps her, I assume. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And then is great at it and writes a book and then we all read it and we talk about it on a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, totally. OK. Fascinating. Um, so what do you think? How would you how would you think about what do we do with this with this new bit of information? What do we do with this story? Is there a connection here to to Shavuot or to to the bigger story of Ruth or Revelation and all of these kind of themes that come together? I mean, for sure there is. At this fortuitous time of year. Right. So for sure there is. I mean, if you look at very deep Kabbalistic things regarding hair, Mm. um, and also, I also want to just mention that hair is a uh, relatively um, obvious thing, especially for men who normally would shave during the year but wouldn't during the time leading up to Shavuot. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Yeah. Their so, faces, men and women also who would grow their hair. People, people who are from the, you know, a lot of the people in the Orthodox community won't shave any parts of their body. Right, some level haircuts. of traditional observance. So there's this time of sort of counting and leading up to Shavuot, which mm-hmm. is both a harvest holiday and the holiday that 
you know, traditionally we say that we received the Torah from Sinai. Mm -hmm. And so in that time, one of the observances is that you don't cut your hair. Right. And it's actually a, a sign of mourning. We mourn the deaths of the students of Rabbi Akiva. Oh. Um, so mm -hmm. that's the time leading up to Shav with with the major exception, of course, being Lagbomer. Um, right. So can you do the two second version of the students of Rabbi Akiva? Because I feel like we can't just drop that without. <laughs> Rabbi Akiva had a uh, was such an amazing teacher. He had amassed twenty four thousand students, mm -hmm. and this is two thousand years ago already. Yeah. Yeah. Or so. Or so. And he. Um, uh, and the, and the students, the two second version is the students weren't weren't treating each other with the they respect were terrible to each other that they yes. deserved, mm -hmm. and therefore um, there was a plague that they could be affected by, and the plague killed every last one of them except uh, during the period some for thirty three days at some point during the period between Pes the first night of Pesach and second night of Pesach and um, Shavuot. Mm -hmm. Um, some people believe it was the first 33 days. Some people say it was the second with the, or whatever. But regardless, the plague was wiping out the students of Rabbi Akiva and then the plague stopped at some point. Yes, it, it stopped. It, it stopped. Uh, it, there was no plague. Nobody died on the 33rd day of the Omer. That's like Omer. Okay. Yay. Yeah. Nobody died. Yeah. And there was much rejoicing. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So there is that sort of that, that hair and mourning connection, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think ruling out shading in the book of Ruth is also just kind of interesting, like compared to the way that shading get used in um, in our uh, Purim episode. Right. Where they're mm. sort of stand ins. Mm. Um, and uh, like it's very clearly not that going on. Right. This isn't a shade coming in and doing what Ruth was supposed to be doing. Like this is definitely Ruth. She is the actor. She is the one coming in and making this relationship move forward. And ultimately, the thing about the big thing about Ruth is that, you know, she's sort of the paradigmatic convert. She becomes the, you know, the progenitor of the line of David, who's going mm -hmm. to bring the Messiah and all this kind of great stuff. And so the fact that Shadim are like Davka not involved in that feels like kind of an interesting point. Mm. Right. Boaz is making sure that's not what happens. Right. 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 Cool. Yay. Super fun. Thanks, Alan. All right. Shade throwers, we're coming to the end of our time, so we're going to do a quick action item, and we'll wrap up and let you all be on your way to Revelation. So... Um, we've been talking in the last couple of episodes about appearances and the way shading look. And I think it's, it's made me reflect a lot on how we think about physical appearance and the way that we manifest our physical selves into the world. And hair in particular is a really interesting example of that. Um, at least for me, you know, I, whenever I'm going through some kind of personal change, I end up getting a haircut or dyeing my hair or whatever it is to have some sort of, you know, putting my stake in the ground um, to say, like, this is a turning point and I'm going to manifest that on the outside the way that I want the change to happen on the inside. Mm. And um, so I think it's so interesting that we're talking about something so outward, so physical that has all of these cultural implications that just lives with us all the time. You know, the idea of our, our hair being a really personal expression of who our you know, who we are in so many ways and coming up and on this time in Shavuot where we're 
we're about to receive revelation, which is like this very deep internal aha moment of sort of figuring out who you are and what it's all about and doing that in this communal setting where everybody's like having this light switch turned on at the same time. Um, but it's all about what happens on the inside. So I think that dichotomy is really is really interesting. And one of my um, one of my favorite phrases from the Talmud is this or that the rabbis discuss in the Talmud is this idea of tocho kevaro, hmm. that a, a tzaddik, a righteous, a righteous person is um, tocho kevaro is the the inside is like the outside. Um, the the outer manifestation is just a reflection of what's really going on on the inside. And that's the best definition of authenticity that I've ever heard. And it because mm. it's such a like terrible buzzword at this point. But I think it's a really nice way of thinking about it, that you're authentic when the inside matches the outside. And um, sometimes that comes from the inside out and sometimes that comes from the outside in. And so mm. I think it's it's so interesting to be leading up to Shavuot and thinking about how that happens from the outside in, but then ultimately um, at the end of that time, it's got to come from the inside out. It's got to be that internal revelation done in a community. It's got to be that that aha moment, that realization of this is who we are. This is what we're all about. This is the life that we want to live um, and making that nasa vanishma, right? Like we're going to mm. do it. We're going to understand it. We're going to make it happen in the real world. So I'm not sure what the action item is really, except like don't make yourself like Lilith. Don't make yourself <laughs> like Lilith. <laughs> Dress for the job you want. You yeah. know, um, to whatever extent you can represent who you are on the inside, on the outside, more power to you. It's the bravest and and uh, one of the most powerful things that you can do. So um, with that, wish everybody a Chag Sameach. Um, if you are not lactose intolerant, enjoy the dairy stuff. <laughs> Otherwise, um, learn a lot. Enjoy the community. Alan, any any wishes for our shade throwers for Shavuot? That uh, we should all be receiving the Torah again together uh, as a one united front of Jewish people uh, on this wonderful holiday of Shavuot. Amen. It's Matan Torah. It's a gift, right? Amen. So accept it with open arms, open heart. Shady, shade throwers, you are awesome. Um, you're gorgeous. The world needs you. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us. We will catch you next time, not next week because of Shavuot. Yeah. <laughs> we will catch you next time on another edition of Throwing Shade, Better Living Through Jewish Demonology. See y'all later.